Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Sarah Trott, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther Gallagher. And we want to remind you that we have a website, fourthtrimesterpodcast.com, that you can go to to sign up for our newsletter or become a patron, which is a sponsor of our program. And today we have a special guest. Um, She is the founder of a project we're excited about called the Midrift Movement. Her name is Angie Sarand. Uh, She is a mama of four So that's kind of amazing. Um, (laughs) In and of itself, I have so much respect for that. And uh, she's also a birth and postpartum doula and a lactation counselor, and she hails from Minneapolis. So uh, welcome, Angie. Thank you. It's actually, my last name is Sunroad, and we actually combined our last names. So when I met my partner, we had two different last names and we were like, well, who should take whose? And we just said, screw it. And we made up one new one. Excellent. I love that. (laughs) Well, and someone pointed out to me, mine was Roeder and he was Peterson. And someone years later said, so you lost an R and he lost a whole Peter. And I said, yeah, I really like that. (laughs) So we went with it. Oh my gosh, that's just so good. Yes. (laughs) Wow, that's a perfect segue into talking about the body. Yes, 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 it is. (laughs) Um, Andy, I'm going to hand it over to you to just kind of talk about your project and what you're doing. Sure. So I have been, um, I've been a mom for 13 years. Well, I guess my oldest is 13. So pregnant or birthing or lactating for 14 years. Uh, yeah, that, that I did lactate for 12 years and that straight. And I felt like that was something I needed a cape for. Um, and, and I've been working with, uh, women and families for the last better part of a decade doing birth and postpartum work. I also am a La Leche League leader and I, um, work at a, pre and postnatal yoga studio with a lot of postpartum moms and their babies. And one of the things that I noticed was a lot of the moms were always covering up their bodies and hiding. And so I wrote a blog piece about it, basically saying you should love your postpartum body. And the response to that was kind of, um, kind of like I said, something no one said before. And I fully recognize many people have come before me on this path, but I don't think there's been as much press about it. Um, there are a lot of photo projects out there, but as far as essays and taking it a little further, um, I, I kind of sat there and thought, well, what can I do with this if I've got this voice that I like to use? Um, so my very supportive husband, who is a teacher, um, of course, was like, how can a we bring this? Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, how can we bring this to the masses? And so we decided to create a film because the way that you change people's minds is representation. And as much as there are amazing, amazing photo projects out there, the fourth trimester project, the honest body project, beautiful body project, just, you know, the shape of a mother, mm-hmm. none of them had ever been on film in a documentary and perhaps it was naivety perhaps it was lack of sleep taking care of the kids but we thought if not someone else why not us (laughs) so that was about a year and a half ago and we've been now we've become a nonprofit, and our our mission statement is essentially that we want to use media, art, community outreach, and film to change the conversations surrounding postpartum body image in our culture. Excellent. 
Yeah. No small thing. <laughs> no. And, and to be totally honest, we, we knew what we were getting into, but I think the second we started it, we realized we're opening up this essentially a Pandora's box of topics <laughs> that could just keep going forever, including the lack of postpartum support, our abysmal mortality rate for, you know, mothers and infants, all, all of these things. Sexuality, that's become my new favorite thing is postpartum sexuality and how nobody talks about the fact that, you know, you can still be sexual and have children. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Surprise. That's how you get more children. <laughs> yes. Oh, is that how I head for? That might, that might explain something here. So, yeah. Oh, so um, I don't know if you've seen, I have, I happen to have one um, in the town where my daughter is raising her son. They have little, um, you know, uh, post, or well, prenatal and postpartum shop, uh, the name of which I'm not remembering at the moment. That's okay. But I walked in and they had these tank tops that said, I make milk. What's your superpower? I, have... I think you should get one of those. <laughs> I have seen those and I love it. I yeah. very much believe, I mean, Honestly, if I wasn't making a film about this, it would probably be about how amazing and spectacular breast milk is because I start talking about that and then I can't shut up because yeah. it's kind of phenomenal. So have you listened to our podcast with uh, Kimberly Allers Seal? No. Is that one I need to look okay, up? Okay. So she just wrote a book called The Big Letdown. How I've heard medicine- of it. Uh, how how medicine, big business, and feminism undermines breastfeeding. Um, and she's got community-based projects in Chicago and Detroit to help uh, Black women breastfeed and to improve the neonatal outcomes, m- mother and baby, uh, around survival. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just whether or not they breastfeed, but but you know, helping, helping moms and babies survive. So it's preventative uh, healthcare. Yeah. And it's really shocking to me how very little we support mothers of any kind. And um, I think that it's all related. I really do. It is. Of course it is. (laughs) Yeah. So come back around to this body project work (laughs) that you're doing. It's pretty, we're so excited about it. Well, thank you. I just, I'm just so glad that people are doing these kinds of things. What's your hope for the impact for the project? That is a great question. Um, Sarah always has the great question. Well, to be honest with you, I think in the beginning, our plan was, okay, we'll make this film. We'll have a great time doing it. I love talking to people. I love meeting people. And human interaction is like what I live for. I'm an extreme extrovert. Um, and so I, I really thought, well, we'll make this film and then just see where it takes us. And and while that is true, what we really decided and discovered quickly and why we called it a movement is that it's so much more than a film. It's so much more than um, going out there and saying, hey, mamas, love your body. We need to help them understand why we are feeling this way, where it comes from change that language, and then also help women develop tools to change how they're feeling. You know, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't just say to a depressed person, hey, get happy. Um, and there are a lot well, of people do. <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> and there are a lot of really well-meaning body positivity um, uh, leaders and projects that do say, love your body, but don't provide any tangible steps. So Mm -hmm. every project we do, every event we do, we really try to have that in our mind. How can we use this as a platform? How can we make this into an action item? So what we're honestly considering now is maybe a Um, Mm docu-series because so many different topics, subtopics have emerged that, I mean, we have enough footage right now. We could make a film tomorrow, but... We are, uh, we're actually leaving in a month for a Southeast Asia and Australia tour to interview moms there. 
to see what their cultural norms are. Yeah, because we really want to show not just the Western side of things, but all over. (laughs) Oh, we if we had the money, which is a very big if. We would we would be traveling all over the world and we have talked to people all over. But um, yeah, so if 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 it gets picked up, if we get funded, anyone out there working for uh, a film distribution company, we would we could easily make this into a several part docuseries. And I just I just want women to know. I, I think it's very naive to say that someone will see someone who looks just like them because no one looks just like you. But I want them to see that the term normal is broader than any of us can imagine. Yeah. You said something earlier about, uh, you know, people saying to women, so love your body. Mm-hmm. And then women saying, okay, how? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the, I mean, it sounds like you have ideas for practical uh, steps towards that. Would you be interested in sharing those now? Sure. I don't know that I, that I have anything uh, prepared as like a lesson, but yeah. (laughs) Um, One of the main things that I have really found that's really important, um, a simple one is to stop that negative self-talk when you have it and really notice it. Um, I think lots of us have that inner monologue constantly going and it's saying, oh, maybe not this shirt. It shows off my belly or should I wear those pants? I don't know about that. And and really thinking about where is that coming from and why am I even concerned about that? And, you know, I want you to wear the clothes that you feel good in, not because you think it it makes you look better. Um, and I'm a huge fan of reframing things. So when i when i think to myself oh my god look at look at my belly um i really take a minute to step back and think about why does it look the way that it does i have carried birthed and then literally carried around on my body for humans mm-hmm. and really understanding um you know i have some diastasis where my muscles separated i also have a hernia I've earned this body. This body was not something that was handed to me. And we went through infertility issues. So I really feel like I need to earn this body and I need to recognize that. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I encourage women to do is to show their body to their friends. I love women getting together and showing each other the things they're terrified to show anybody. Um. I I recently went bra shopping with two mama friends and it was so damn empowering to stand in that changing room. And, you know, this mama friend was like, Oh, I feel really nervous about this. And I'm like, that's like your best asset, (laughs) you know? And then I pointed out what I'm nervous about and they're like, no, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And all those fears we have, the more you voice them, the smaller they become. I think so much of our negative self-talk is, you know, it's internalized from the talk that we've gotten from actual people in our lives and the larger culture about how you're supposed to look, you know, um, what's attractive, what's not attractive, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so I think the fact that you're pointing to just a kind of um, both interpersonal and internal, you know, because you did this with friends, right? <laughs> um, but that mm-hmm. interpersonal and and deep inner work of having the intervention that says, I'm going to try to witness for myself. I'm going to develop through practice a witness for myself, my inner witness that notices when I am doing the social body critic. Um, it's it's personal yeah. accountability in a po- in the positive sense. And I think and so, I think for so many of us, the first part is having a little compassion. Right. And not because I think that if the critic gets to jump in first, 
that sets us up feeling bad. And so then if we can say, oh, I feel bad because I, I hurt my feelings, <laughs> you know, and I now what, you know, now I, I want to avoid that constant cycle of hurting my own feelings about the body I have and the body that I could learn to love. It's challenging. When I gave, when I was pregnant with my daughter, her dad said to me during our pregnancy, you know, if you get fat, I'll leave you. How's that for Ugh. direct, right? Mm, yeah. I'm so yeah. sorry. Now, I had never, I had never heard that kind of talk in my family. You know, there was plenty of criticism, but it never was body shaming criticism mm -hmm. and so to have it be that direct was really kind of both like you know unbalancing like really disruptive and at the same time like a good a good part of me was like where the hell is that coming from and why sh why should I care mm -hmm. so being you know a young but sort of smart girl the next time I went to see my midwife I said to her well, you know, there's concern about what my body is going to be like on the other side of this. And I went exactly to the right mm -hmm. woman because she, she said to me in, in a not a pandering way at all. She said, well, you know, you're going from being a teenager to being a woman. And you're not going to have a teenager's body anymore. You're going to have the body of a woman. And I just, I just loved that. She was just as, she was just oh, as direct, you know, and just as clear. And I thought, okay, well, he can leave me. <laughs> <laughs> if he doesn't leave me, I'll probably leave him. And what so, ended up happening? You know, I, we left each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But not over that. Yes. Per se. But even so, you know, the fact that I was carrying around that this is his attitudinal stance towards women and their bodies. Yep. Didn't help his case much. Let me just say. Well, we have we have such an interesting. Um, I don't even know how I want to phrase it, but we've come as a society to accept that when a woman is pregnant and all the time surrounding it, that perinatal time, it's OK to talk openly about her body. Hmm. To touch it, to discuss it, to say how big or small or whatever. And it's fascinating to me that we've just made this a cultural norm. And I think that there are so very many women that don't even know it's okay for them to say, hey, this is my body. Mm -hmm. I don't really need your opinion of me. Yeah. As my daughter says, get off of me. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. much so. Very much Physically so. and social, emotionally. Like, this is mine. Get off of me. I mean, regardless of pregnancy or having babies, I think that a lot of people have a hard time loving their bodies anyway. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if you have 18 to 35 years of, mm -hmm. gee, what do I do with this thing? Mm -hmm. You know, going through this phenomenal, transformative, process that's ongoing our whole lives anyway you know yes um, but it doesn't yeah it does nothing to help us uh mentally and emotionally mm -hmm. um, so anyone not feeling that great about their bodies in the first place then having a baby and I mean there's so many issues there so a lot of people think like oh I'm gonna you know my definition of success you know as far as other people are concerned is going to be that I I quote unquote bounce back and my body goes back to what it was. Mm -hmm. So it's never, first of all, that's a huge misconception. It's never going to go back. There's no going back. There's only through. Absolutely. Well, body after baby is definitely one of those phrases that I would really like to eradicate because mm -hmm. it insinuates that you're going to be someone or something different. And um, yes, we, we are, we're changing, but we're the same people with the same body. It's a body mm -hmm. that's going to evolve. It's a body that's going to support. It's a body that's going to change, but to the phrasing and the words that we use take away from that power. Mm 
and they make it seem as if it's an attainable goal that we all should have to get back to what we were. And, and stay that way for our whole lives. <laughs> absolutely. And to be honest, yeah. I don't really <laughs> want to be change. that person I was. Yeah. You know, I uh, I think mm-hmm. that somebody, somebody said to me probably 10, 15 years ago, someone said to me, you know, moms are supposed to be squishy. And that's really stayed with me. <laughs> um, but, I, but a huge part of this, um, when we were talking earlier about body image issues, not just being around pregnancy, um, women are told essentially from birth that we need to be something other than we are smaller, thinner, bigger, louder, quieter, whatever it is. And that continues our entire lives. And we have talked with women who have had eating disorder issues, who've had sexual trauma that has led to have led to body hatred and, you know, go so on and so forth. And so when then they have babies, these things crop up and grow into these enormous beasts that are almost too much to handle. Mm-hmm. Well, and these things can um, lurk and um, kind of rear their ugly heads at any any time in a woman's Absolutely. life. I just want to speak to that because... Um, I, you know, I've struggled with all those things you just mentioned Mm -hmm. and, you know, it was going along fine. And then suddenly I just took a left turn, you know, into this deep abyss of like um, thinking I should be something different. And it it, it always, it didn't take much of a trigger. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I realized the triggers were large. And in my face. And on the other hand, the other side of the perspective on this is always, why did that throw me so mm-hmm. easily? You know, so it's, it's, uh, there's a lot for some of us, for most of us, actually, when you consider that you named, you know, sexual assault and, and um, molestation, for instance, mm-hmm. like, if that's one in three of all women in America, that's a lot of us. Yes, all and, of us. And, you know, and not to not every, to pull this know. to a political side, but in our current political climate, I wonder oh, how ahead. that number is going to change when we have a president who is saying yes. that it's absolutely okay to treat women however we they we would like, and then also to rate them on a scale of one to ten and pass mm-hmm. legislate. Well, he hasn't passed legislation yet; he's working on it. But to make requirements for how they should look and be, mm-hmm. I, I just feel like all of this work that we've been doing, yeah. it we cannot stop, and that might be why I'm feeling so fueled lately because mm-hmm. we are in we are in the middle of misogyny. We are in the middle of a patriarchy that is feeling emboldened and um, is making me sick, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, trigger warning, right? Yes. <laughs> well, and you know, it when it, it's, it's not just the administration, all white male. Oh, gosh. But, but, you know, let's, let's go a little deeper and further when our Congress is primarily mm. white men, mm-hmm. some of them who I adore. Absolutely. I think of two. I, I live you in know? Al Franken um, territory and he's amazing. Oh, <laughs> I got to shake his hand at the gay pride parade. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. And he's funny. He's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, but, you know, like I say, like we, you know, racism and sexism have been part of the fabric of our nation since the beginning. And we've got a lot of work to do. Hell yes. You know? Uh, So, um, well, it's interesting because people will say they'll hear what my project's about and they hear body image. And I think what they think, I I worry what they think is that it's a very surface level, me saying it's okay that I'm kind of pudgy. And to be clear, <laughs> I tell people all the time, part of this belly is donuts and I will never stop eating donuts. And I love donuts and that's okay with me. 
But <laughs> what it's really about is so much bigger than anything I could put into words eloquently. And all of these factors play into this. Um, I had a conversation today with a mama um, who is from Eritrea and another woman who um, is family is from Cameroon. And we are talking about how in their culture, if you lose any weight postpartum, it is not good. You are supposed to bulk up so that you can feed and carry that baby. And she was saying, one of the moms was saying that she actually, her family members will feed her like hand into her mouth, feed her if she's not eating enough. And I was thinking of how different our culture is here where one, we don't even get any maternity leave so that you can take care of your body. Speaking of all the things we could talk about. Um, but when you are home, I was lucky to get like a handful of nuts in between taking care of kids, soaking my bottom, resting, breastfeeding, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't, no one was spoon feeding me anything unless I was barking at Mike to do that, which then he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. There's- right. And nobody had taught Mike that, you know, if he's a father, his primary role is to have you survive Absolutely. so that your children do. Yep. Right. And, and that's, that's not faulting Mike. No. That's faulting patri- patriarchy and a longstanding, you know, uh, well, women hating system. Well, where we see this most, we're Sad. doing this project together, the two of us together. He took a sabbatical this year. Um, I, I, I yeah, it's it's been amazing. I have not. I've I've taken birth clients. I'm also a realtor, so I've also been doing that. And um, yeah. this week alone, three babies, two houses, and a third house tonight. So I'm just saying it's been a week. <laughs> but anyways, it's yeah. interesting how many people say, oh, that's phenomenal that he took a year off to work on this project. Like it's, he's rewriting history books. And, you know, he, he goes, he, he took the kids to, um, he took the kids to a museum this week. R4 and then two extras. And I was at a birth, so I wasn't there. And when he was checking in, the person behind the counter said, you know, how many? And he said, one adult and six kids. And the man did a double take, looked up at him and said, best of luck. (laughs) And that never happens to me. I am out with my kids alone all the damn time. And I don't get accolades. If anything, I maybe get dirty looks. Yeah. Yeah. And we have this, we have the lowest standards for men in this country, that if you show up, your job is done. Yeah, right. I My dad t- used to take four of us camping. Yes. Including, you know, a very little one. Like, he just leave mom at home and because, you know, yeah. uh, she needed a break and she was in college and he took us all camping and we all took care of ourselves. Together As you should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not to not to go on a little bit more about Mike, but w- we went to the West Coast to film. And while we were there, um, my cousin was killed in a car accident. And so I oh. I flew home for the funeral and he drove my four kids home alone from <laughs> L.A. to Minneapolis. And, you know, I it's not like I was here at a spa. It wasn't exactly fun, but I do have to remind myself that, you know, I probably did a pretty good job picking a partner there. Yeah. Good work. Yeah, fantastic. (laughs) And by the way, he's dreamy. I know that this is a podcast, but trust me all, he's delightful to look at. Sarah's not jumping in here, but she (laughs) got pretty lucky too. They don't have four kids yet. Oh, but there's time. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) There is time. Yeah. And Ben is dear, and he wanted to feed Sarah, which is so great. He was cooking and feeding, and yeah, he was he was a joy to work with their family when Abby was born. It's true. I do I do have a, a hottie myself who's also very much an equal player and equal partner. And I actually hope I hope for all women that they find you know someone who can step up and be an equal partner. They don't necessarily have to cook or clean or take care of the kids, but whatever equality means in terms of sharing responsibilities and what people are comfortable with. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really think that there's I, a shift in expectations that can happen mm-hmm. for women. Yeah. Well, and I think that we need to start teaching our daughters to expect that. And I think we need to start teaching our sons to also expect that. Um, one of the things that's been fascinating to me in doing this project is so many people have said to me, oh, you must be doing this for your daughter. I have one daughter and three sons. And I look at them and I say, yes, but equally as much for my sons, because this is not an issue just for us women here to fix. We're looking at all mm-hmm. of you. And I, I feel the same way about expectations for your partner. It's it's not mm-hmm. luck or happenstance that Mike participates in parenting as much as he does. It was expected and discussed and agreed upon because we wanted to mm-hmm. go into this together. And one of the things that I tell uh, the families that I work with is I love, if the mama is breastfeeding, I love the import and export law. If she is spending all that time importing milk into your baby, then your partner is dealing with all the exporting, which means the diapers and the burping and the putting them back to bed and whatever that might be. And once I discovered that, my life was very different. And I, and there was a lot less resentment at 2 a.m., when I was feeding the baby and staring at Mike sleeping, who would have happily gotten up but slept through the baby crying because he doesn't have the same connection, you know, that we do as birthing partners. And once I woke him, all right, it's time for you to do the burping and the changing. Things shifted between us and he learned mm-hmm. the nuances of our baby and he wasn't as nervous about being left alone with them. And I had slightly, slightly more freedom. I was still breastfeeding well, a lot. And I, I think that this points to not only the pragmatics of learning and teaching and supporting, you know, children of any gender orientation that parenting is a full-time, full-on, everybody included endeavor. Um, and what is what part of that means is that you're not left out you're not excluded from the experience you know the full experience whatever it is much of it positive absolutely you know because somebody's saying well you don't know how or you don't have the capacity or you don't have the hormones or some damn thing you know so oh, I, you're I, not included. You're not included in this. Well, obviously, right? I, this is how you can tell that you have not met Mike or I, because if one of us is going to cry over something, it's <laughs> going to be Mike. So, <laughs> and and I think it's so fascinating to me how we just have come to this point where gender roles. Every time I think we've made leaps and bounds, somebody says something that just amazes me, and mm-hmm. um, really specifically to our children in this project. We just get so many comments about, well, what does your daughter think about it? I'm like, yeah, that's great. But there's three other kids here. And mm-hmm. and it's funny. Um, a lot of people think that I was the driving force behind this project. But quite frankly, a huge portion of this was Mike saying, yes, let's do this. We need to go forward with it. And and yeah. to bring it back to how can partners help, you know, in in helping moms feel positive about their bodies, I think – so much of my journey has been being able to share things with him without judgment, in full honesty, um, with the understanding that it is a journey and that how I'm feeling today might not be how I was feeling yesterday or how I'm feeling tomorrow. And to have conversations about my body in in ways that were safe and supported. So it, it wouldn't have helped me if he had said, oh, of course I love your body. Nothing's changed because I would have called bullshit on that in a heartbeat. <laughs> what helped me is when he said, you know, well, of course, yeah, your, your stomach has changed and, and you've gotten curvier. But I really I like those curves. And, you know, when we're being intimate, I don't really notice your stomach. I'm looking at your boobs, which P.S. are still quite perky and lovely. So... <laughs> That was really helpful. Who wouldn't want to have that conversation? No, and this is, you know, when we do these events and when we talk about intimacy, that's a big thing I say is, you know, 
have these conversations with your partner and say what it is you are insecure about. Because nine times out of 10, your partner's going to say, I've never even noticed that. Or yes, I've noticed, mm-hmm. but I don't really care because I find you really hot. Mm-hmm. And when you go through parenthood, right. when you when you go through this journey with somebody, that emotional connection can grow in such beautiful ways. And I didn't expect mm-hmm. that. I really didn't expect that, that being such a beautiful byproduct of parenting in my experience. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. <laughs> I think the experience um, brings people so much closer together and has the effect of, uh, I, I think, maybe putting to one side some of the unrealistic ideas that um, society might surround us with about um, body image and and the body image stuff is sort of reflective of of everything we're talking about right of equality and mm-hmm. respect um women women don't talk about men's bodies oh my god no I mean, it's just there's just a huge diverse um and also i think just going back to what you said before about um this idea of uh, i think you said this woman from ethiopia was saying like oh if if i lose weight that's bad well um, yeah, my heart really goes out to all the babies of all the mommies and all the mommies and their families too, who are trying to get their baby weight off so desperately. They're actually, I mean, maybe in some extreme cases, harming their babies, but they're not doing their babies a service by, by doing mm-hmm. that. Um, and, and it's so odd to me because the message in the hospital is so clearly, well, if you want what's best for the baby, then you'll do X, Y, and Z with X, Y, and Z often not being what's ideal for mom in the birth process. So like that same excuse is, mm-hmm. is like totally ignored Absolutely. in the postpartum period. So like, okay, you do what's right for the baby, but that's just an excuse to kind of do what the hospital wants you to do. Then you get out of the hospital and no one says do what's best for the baby. They say do what's best for someone who's looking mm-hmm. at you. Mm-hmm. Make sure make sure you look good, which is such a weird. Well, and who idea. do we owe that to? I mean, who am I looking good for? I, I, f- yeah. Well, and also, yeah. How do we define looking good? It's abstract. For yeah. Um, you know, there's so much shame in the in paparazzi. All you know, all the time. I, I had to actually ditch them to do this. So I don't know how much time I got left oh before somebody breaks down my door. <sighs> yeah. And if, if the best thing for a baby is to put on a little bit of weight to help your milk come in or just help your body heal itself and get all the nutrients it needs because you've lost a ton of blood or whatever yeah. it is, that's really typical. Yeah. Um, like, I just think that, you know, people need to start thinking about that message. Like, what's best for the baby after the baby's born? in your body, not just like in the hospital, which by the way, I encourage you. Oh, absolutely. And I think that we also need to question that we are making judgments on health based on a woman's appearance. And that's another thing that, um, I, I struggle with myself when I go visit families postpartum and I say to them, I'm like, you look great. What I mean is you look amazingly settling into this motherhood experience and not, Oh, you look amazing in those sweatpants and your hair looks fantastic. We don't have right. in our society a, a language surrounding motherhood that supports these ideals that are best practice for mom and baby. We are lacking that. We don't have expectations that that celebrate if you do stay in bed and breastfeed and really care for yourself. It's, it's this fine line of women having to prove, Oh, I'm not being lazy. I'm healing. And, and also Mm -hmm. trying to get back to their lives because our lives don't stop. Our culture doesn't allow that. You're supposed to have a baby and snap back and, and show up to your yoga class next week. And I want to be clear too. I'm not here to judge those women who do want to go to their yoga class next week or who do end up losing weight after they deliver because I don't, one thing within this project we've been very intentional with is not using the term normal or real. A lot of campaigns will say things like, this is what a real mother looks like. And I don't want to exclude anyone. A real mom is anybody who has a child. End of story. 
That's it. Whether they adopted, whether they step parent, whatever, that's what we're going to define as a mom. And I think that we are so quick to put specifically mothers into categories, you know, home or hospital birth, vaginal or cesarean, breast or bottle, whatever it is. We also do that category of got her body back, eh, didn't. And it's it's damaging and it's creating these mommy wars that are um, have really gotten out of control. Let's talk about, um, if you don't mind and if you can't, like a little bit of the physiology of the trans you know, the transformation between pregnancy and postpartum and continuing motherhood in all its shapes and sizes and wonderment. Um, I'm thinking along the lines of, you know, just being able to be fertile requires that we have a certain percentage of body. Absolutely. Women, women don't understand that. Like, and yet ancient cultures do. When I was studying anthropology way back when, you know, your, your rite of passage as a young girl into womanhood included getting fed special foods, chief among them high mm-hmm. fat foods, oils, and things of that nature in order to turn you into somebody who is going to be able to uh, sustain mm-hmm. yourself and... Well, baby, is it is it right? Venus of Willendorf, that statue, that the rotund mama? <laughs> the little... I remember mm-hmm. seeing that when I was yeah. uh, probably 17 and didn't look like that. I, I was a very late bloomer. Mm-hmm. I pretty much... Um, went from an A to a D cup in a summer when I was probably 16 and then my hips came and that was also a whole shocking thing for me. But when seeing, seeing that statue and knowing that motherhood was my goal, really kind of that moment of, okay, so uh, being a mom is, is not just about having kids, but accepting what comes with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's just the kind of animal we are uh, is made in general to put whatever extra we are lucky enough to get yes. around the middle and, and keep it handy for breastfeeding and all those sorts of things. I mean, there's a reason why our bodies change the ways in mm-hmm. which they do. And it's a positive Absolutely. reason, you know, I mean, I, I hope that we're not encouraging moms to, you know, drink soda and eat sugar during their pregnancies because that's just dangerous, but to stay well and, and fully nourished, um, by way of preparing to be postpartum and for breastfeeding and for baby care. I think it's pretty. Oh, absolutely. And as I said before, you know, that was one of the hardest things for me was finding time and energy to eat real meals. And one of the things that I really love right now that I'm seeing in our postpartum culture is the presence of um, meal trains and, and, you know, food being set up to support the, the family when they have a baby and recognizing that nourishment is key to health and healing and time to bond with your baby. Because, yes, of course, I'd love you all to be eating wonderfully prepared foods, but you probably don't have the time to do that if you're sitting and bonding right. with your baby. Yeah. And that's not just, right, that's not just for a week or so, right? That's that, Absolutely that, inch, not. that transition from birth through the postpartum period, uh, it, it goes on, you know, it takes a while. And that's, that's why we need people around us doing those things that we're not available to do for ourselves if we're taking care of a baby. So. And I think it sometimes gets harder. (laughs) I mean, my youngest will be five in May. And if anyone wants to drop by a meal, I will happily take it. (laughs) 
because there's so much going on in our lives that it's hard to prioritizing yourself is really Mm -hmm. difficult. Oh, I think I will forever be the kind of cook and mom who's got frozen food, you know, casseroles and things and soups in my freezer so that at least once or twice a week, I don't have to cook. Right. Yeah. I always cook a large batch and have a lot left over so that I can have like a second meal out of it. Um, Even though my husband, I I don't even have kids around anymore. Sorry to step on that, Sarah, but you know. And I have always wanted to be that mom and I'm just not there yet. (laughs) Give me some time. Whatever works. Whatever works. Yeah. Well, all right. So um, where can people see your documentary or find out information about what you're doing? So we have a website, www.do people still say that? The www. <laughs> or is that a student? I don't know. Um, midriftmovement.com. And now nice. the the midrift, I mean it's a playoff the the term midrift where your belly shows under a shirt. Mm-hmm. But it also is very intentionally to recognize that we've sort of drifted away from celebrating these changes that come with our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting how many um how many things are mistagged on Facebook or on Instagram or social media with midrift when they mean midriff. And <laughs> I think it's really hilarious what pops up in my feed that people think I'll be interested in. Um, so they can go there. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. And we will be releasing um, a lot of little mini videos along the way. We'll be documenting our trip. As I said, we go to Southeast Asia and Australia in April and May. And um, one one thing I'm really excited about, we are working with um, a local poet here who has made a spoken word piece for us about what it feels like to be a mother. Mm-hmm. And we're having other moms record some of the background uh, inner dialogue that mothers hear. And we got a really amazing song that we're putting it to. And so we're hoping to have that out Within the month here, we'll see how that goes. Um, we also we also have a coloring book that we created that illustrates postpartum bodies, and um, we tried to make it as inclusive as we could. We could really make about seven hundred yeah. coloring books, um, but it's it's designed to be done with your child. Um, it's tongue in cheek, but it's also to the point. There's activities in it. You can go through our stretch mark maze. yep brilliant and there's a there really is a stretch mark maze and there's a a a word search and um all kinds of fun things oh my gosh I mean I I hope this is the beginning yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah oh mamas look down at your pregnant belly think about all that love and excitement that you have and imagine that belly after your baby's gone and still give it all of that love and excitement Mm -hmm. because your body is a temple and it's performing a miracle yeah, absolutely. And I think if we can say that to our friends, so earlier when I said, I don't like that we talk about bodies, that that's true. But I also think that to counteract all the negativity, if we intentionally say things, I, I try to point out to my friends, if I know she has a, a quote to her problem area, <laughs> I'll say things like, you know, I, I love your hips or, um, show me your belly and I'll show you mine. I do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my belly for me is my, um, I don't want to say it's my trouble spot, but it's the spot that I struggle with loving the most. And so the way that I have chosen to deal with that is I show it off pretty much whenever I can. And every person we've interviewed at the end of our interview, I ask them to show me their belly And so I have a bunch of side-by-side shots of me belly to belly with all of these people we've interviewed. And at the end of the film, we're going to have this piece of all these bellies lined up. Um, Yeah. Our goal too, when this film is done, which will probably be, I would say 2018, you could see something, um, is we want to host showings where we show the film and then we Mm -hmm. show each other our bodies. So invite me over. I'll come to your house. I'll show you my body. It doesn't take much. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll start doing that as well. Uh, Not that I haven't in the past. I love it. um, I, uh, you know, with with those clients who are prepared for it, I definitely do some showing. (laughs) Yeah. 
And it's, it's cathartic. It is. It is. Um, thank you so much for being on our program. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Lovely. Okay. We're going to post all of the information about your project on our website. So people can to learn more about what you're doing. And we're very excited to see your documentary. Thank you. I'm excited to have people watch it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Angie. This was really lovely. It was for me as well. Okay. Bye. Till next Bye. time. Take care. You can find out more about Esther Gallagher on estergallagher.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears you ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake